0: Tax Analyst is honored to be recognized by the Washington Post as a 2022 top workplace in the D.C. metro area. This is our fourth straight year winning the award. To learn more, you can check out our official press release at taxnotes.com dc2022. That's taxnotes.com dc2022. Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, editor-in-chief of Tax Notes Today International. This week, athlete taxes, eh? With the Stanley Cup Finals underway, we're taking a look at athlete taxes, specifically those applied in Canada. And to help us learn more about this, we're joined by our resident Canadian-American chief correspondent, Stephanie Sung-Johnston. Stephanie, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me back, eh?
0: (laughs) So you recently spoke to someone about athlete taxes. Could you tell us about your guests and what sort of issues you got into?
1: So I spoke with Marie-France Dampierre. She is a partner in the tax practice of Davies, Ward, Phillips, and Weinberg LLP in Montreal, or Montréal, as we say in Canada. Anyway, so she wrote an article for us published in April. It's called An expensive trade, taxation of non-resident professional athletes playing in Canada. And it was an interesting overview about how Canada treats the taxation of non-resident professional athletes, with its particular focus on those playing in North American sports leagues, like the National Hockey League and the National Basketball Association, NBA NFL. Yeah, so she she regularly advises pro and non-resident pro af- athletes. Uh, we discussed some of the intricacies that these athletes face in Canada. I think the general consensus among sports fans is that Canada has a very hard time attracting athletes because of its very high tax uh, rates, its complicated tax system, and the CRA's laser focus on these athletes' income uh, just as soon as they you know set foot in the country. So the conversation mostly focused on income. Personal income tax, um, you know, allocation of income, taxation of non-resident employees, Canada's tax treaties—how that complicates how these athletes are treated. Uh, it was a really interesting conversation. You know, I, I don't cover this topic very much at all, if at all. But somehow, somehow, we managed to talk about the two pillars, the OEC's two pillars. I don't know how we got to that at that point, but she did bring it up, and I uh, was like, okay, well, because it seems appropriate. So I hope you all enjoy the interview.
0: All right, let's go to that interview.
1: Bonjour. Hi, Marie-France. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation today. It's always a pleasure to speak to a fellow Canadian about tax. So thank you again. Thank you for having me. We're here to talk about your great article that you wrote for us about the taxation of non-resident athletes in Canada and, you know, it was a great article, uh, really fun to read and to learn something new. So I just wanted to ask you first, what inspired you to write about the taxation of non-resident athletes in Canada?
2: Well, to be honest, I spent most of my youth going uh, with my grandparents to see the expos in Montreal when they were when they were there. We had some hope recently that they might come back, but that's been dashed And and hockey and whatnot. So I've always kind of been around sports and and, and, you know like all of that but to be honest I've been working a lot with professional athletes in the past few years with respect to their tax disputes mostly with uh, CRA the Canada Revenue Agency and Revenue Quebec and so it's something that a lot of people find interesting but they don't necessarily know a lot about So I thought it might be interesting to just give like a summary overview and do an article on it.
1: That's really cool. Uh, my friends who are big sports fans, they always complain, oh, you know, our Canadian teams are not very, they're not so great because of our, our tax system here. We have high taxes and it's sort of complicated as far as how their, rest, their income is treated. And maybe it's a little bit of a deterrent for our attracting top athletes in, in layering on top of that dispute. So it's very interesting to, to read your story maybe just define something so um you mentioned in your article the royal winnipeg ballet case where ballet dancers that had full season contracts were found to be independent contractors by the CRA not employees you know how does Canada define athlete just to start off
2: well it really does depend right normally they'll either be employees and and that that would be most athletes that play in regular sports leagues like the MLBA the NBA the NHL the NFL we don't have any NHL but if ever, and those are normally considered to be employees. And then you'll have the independent contractors, which are usually, well, you'll think about tennis players, golf players, uh, boxers, and all that. Those are usually independent contractors. And it really does depend. Usually the characterization is based. So in Canada, we have a bi legal system. So we have both French civil law and English common law, Uh, French civil law being quebec based And so tax being a ancillary kind of system, legal system, you have to look at the private law system in the province you're in. So usually, you know, they'll look at either the Civil Code of Quebec or common law factors in the other provinces. But I would say the the most common denominator is going to be the control, the control that is exercised by the payer. So an employer or payer, depending on what is asked of the athlete. But as I said, usually... There's going to be some disputes about that, but usually it's, it's pretty easy, especially for uh, players
1: in leagues. And so that sort of touches on my next question. Nia, what are some of the challenges that athletes face when playing a sport in Canada if they are non-resident?
3: Well, you mentioned it, right?
2: I, I think we all know that Canada is probably, well, probably has one, if not the <laughs> uh, highest tax rates for individuals now. Uh, we're a little bit over 53% in some provinces. So obviously that, that is a challenge for clubs to get talent into Canada. And as I mentioned, there's the whole aspect of being you know, a bidural jurisdiction where you have you know, the federal tax authority, which is the Canada Revenue Agency. And then you'll have some provinces like Quebec who has their own tax agency, which is Revenue Quebec. And all of those intricacies and, and those different things come into play when a player might be considering coming into Canada as an on-resident. And, and you'll also have all these residency issues, even for Canadian athletes who will maybe want to leave the country. And there's been uh, a lot of scrutiny on that in the past few years. And I have to say that obviously, you know, it, it's been a hot a hot debate across the, around the world, really. You think about tennis players, you know, settling in, in Monaco and things like that. That's something that, is a challenge for Canada because we do have that high tax rate. So a lot of Canadian athletes might wanna relinquish it and then getting those non-residents in, that's that's gonna be a challenge also. And, and obviously there's the interplay with all our tax treaties. And so it's it, it it's complex and it's something that really has to be considered from the outset. There are ways of mitigating and, and there are things that, that are interesting about being in Canada and, and playing in Canada. We have great teams, but uh, all of that to say, um, there's a lot of challenges. And then even if you are a non, like, for example, someone who's playing for the Blue Jays, there's going to be this question of allocation between Canada and the U.S. because you're playing, usually, for example, for for the Blue Jays, the allocation of, of time because you're paying, you start paying income tax in Canada on the first dollar you earn in Canada as a non-resident. So it's really about services performed as an employee or business income earned in Canada. But for for example, with my Blue Jays example, usually the allocation will be 60-40. A Blue Jay player will earn 60% of of his income in the States and then 40% in Canada. And that really kind of has that kind of, of component where, you know, there's going to be a lot of, of debate about that allocation. There's been a lot of administrative positions come out based on different kind of methods of allocation. So all of those things are are quite um, challenging sometimes. And, and it is something that players have to keep in mind. And, and I think that the whole prospect of, I, I think it's the take-home salary, the term that, that's really used, that's something that 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 has to be considered. And it's something that, that teams have, to to keep in mind when they're trying to get that talent and attract those players. So those are some of the challenges,
1: really. I'm just curious, are there salary caps? I mean, I I think maybe the MLB might have salary caps. Are they different in Canada as they are in the States?
2: Yeah, it's the same. It's the same kind of principle for for the salary cap. For example, for the, the NHL, it's all the same.
0: Support for this podcast is provided by SafeSend. Empower staff with tax automation software that is transforming the accounting profession. The SafeSend suite improves your firm's processes. From engagement letters and client organizers to assembly, delivery, and e-signing of tax packages, the SafeSend suite makes it easy. Clients love the intuitive, consistent experience at every step of the tax engagement. Staff love reducing the time they spend on manual, labor-intensive tasks. Schedule a demo at SafeSend.com to see it in action. That's safesend.com.
1: You briefly mentioned advising clients on CRA disputes. What kind of attention does a CRA give to athletes? Is it disproportionate in your view? How do they treat them?
2: I don't know if it's disproportionate. There's a special unit at the CRA. There's a few auditors assigned almost 100% of their time to these types of audits. It's called a special examination unit at the CRA. It's based in Ottawa. And so there's a lot of scrutiny. To, you know, returns, as soon as you start earning income in Canada, you have to file those income tax returns. And they're being scrutinized from the outset, right? You'll have questions like even now with, with the whole question of the bubbles, you know, that skewed all the allocations, you know, the method of allocation I was talking about earlier, that's all been skewed a little bit, even for, for players that didn't even have to think about that before. Because if you think about the NHL bubbles for the playoffs a few years ago, like to, I'm a bit confused yeah. with, I'm losing track of time with, with COVID and the pandemic, but in 2020, I think, you know, you had 24 teams coming to Canada playing in Ontario, in Toronto, and in Edmonton, and in and, and, teams that would not have played and stayed in a bubble for that amount of time, which then skews that, that normal allocation. And, and it's not just the players, it's the team themselves, it's the employees, the coaches, the personnel. It's a big retinue of people that have to think about that. So so all of those things get scrutinized very early on. And, and, and sometimes as soon as you file your income tax return, and obviously, and, and we'll talk a little bit maybe about it later on, but some mitigation strategies are put in place and those are scrutinized also. So disproportionate, probably not. I mean, we, we do have a, a lot of scrutiny on tax, tax issues in Canada, uh, probably as the IRS in, in the States. And I mean, athletes are employees, right? They get like the, the ones playing in ma- major leagues in, in the States and, and whatnot. So they get a paycheck like everybody else, maybe with a few more zeros than others. But yeah, they get that scrutiny probably a bit more than other employees would in, in Canada.
1: The point about the bubbles uh, was interesting because uh, I, I understand bubbles to mean when athletes, during COVID, everyone had to be vaccinated, everyone couldn't like leave the bubble, and they had to basically play there or, or train there, live there basically for the season. Isn't that right? The season? Well, I
2: think some of them, I think it depends. I think yeah, if I'm not mistaken, the NBA were playing part of the season in Florida, which is great because there's no state tax. So that, that's a great, from a tax perspective, that was that's more beneficial than the playoffs being played in Toronto, where uh, we have that 53%, <laughs> a bit more than that uh, tax rate at the top bracket. But yeah, so I mean, it was seasons, it was playoffs, it was all over the place, right? And now those income tax returns are getting filed. And those are going to get scrutinized. There's been some, you know, there's scrutiny about that. And it's normal, because it's new, it's different. How do you deal with it?
1: Okay, The CRA hasn't really come up with much guidance at this point.
2: Not really. They, they don't really issue that much guidance, I have to say, about athletes. There's a few administrative positions, as I said, about allocations and the methods of allocation, but they were a bit contradictory, depending, you know, sometimes it was based on percentage of games, and, and also like even, you know, if you earn a bonus, is a bonus salary and then treated as such for the allocation purposes or this is in theory, a bonus could be earned in one jurisdiction and not in both, Right. So all of that, it's been a bit contradictory, and there's not been that much guidance. They have an open dialogue, though, because when you represent those athletes, you get to know the people at CRA. So you can ask questions, and and, and it is cordial, and and you do have those exchanges, but there's nothing really official that's been given.
1: As always, very polite, eh?
2: <laughs> always polite. We're very polite. <laughs>
1: always polite <laughs> with a smile. <laughs> so when you're talking, I hear you're talking about, um, you know, income tax and the issues these present, but as far as like athletes and their like images and stuff, I mean, that's a whole other issue. I mean, do you also advise clients on the income they get from, you know, their, you know, their images being used?
2: Yeah, well, like endorsements, uh, the, the right to use public images, usually that's not going to be employment income. That's going to be business income. And also, you know, some athletes will decide to earn that income in, in corporations, and that brings other, you know, intricacies. And, and you'll have also, uh, we have a lot, as everybody does now, there's a lot of scrutiny on having offshore corporations earning income in Canada, and having those satellite kind of, uh, of corporations. So we do advise, and those are getting scrutinized also. I mean, I think that that's that's something that's happening all over the world now with the OECD and Pillar 1, Pillar 2 and all of that, but uh, it is something that is prevalent here also.
1: That'll be a very interesting article too, because I feel like Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 have been written about to death at this point, but not from the athlete perspective. How will this affect athletes? I guess if they're corporate, large corporations, uh, maybe leading a threshold, but maybe it's something for the future to write about. So you mentioned briefly, you know, we, the mitigation measures and strategies, you know, what would you recommend to you an athlete considering playing Canada and, and why?
2: Obviously, there's, there's different ways of minimizing the tax implications of playing in Canada, of earning income in Canada. And, and actually, the Supreme Court of Canada rendered a decision recently, not at all in any respect with athletes or anything like that, but it reaffirmed the principle that we have in Canada, which is that a taxpayer is entitled to mitigate and arrange his or her affairs in a way that is going to be the most efficient from a tax perspective. And that's, it's called the Duke of Westminster principle, which which comes from English common law, but it's a very old decision and principle, but it was reaffirmed. And and so there are ways to mitigate. Obviously, one of the things that that might be interesting is earning bonuses. A bonus being, has been, uh, there's been administrative positions as to what constitutes a bonus. And and usually it's, it's something that is an inducement to play and to perform services, for example, for a club in Canada. But if you receive a bonus instead of, for example, let's say, uh, pick any numbers, you you have a $2 million salary, but you get a $1 million bonus. Well, obviously, under the tax treaty, tax treaties do afford a reduced rate for bonuses, which instead of being 53%, it's going to be 15% which is quite interesting. Obviously, uh, you have to think about that it has to be a bonus. And that's something to keep in mind. But it, it is something that is done. And that's a way for clubs and players to, to negotiate. That might be a way of mitigating uh, the implication. Another really interesting and, and sometimes underused vehicle is the retirement compensation arrangements, which is it, it's really a Canadian construct. It's a pension plan. in, in essence, I, And and it's not only used for athletes, it can be used also for higher earners that non-residents coming like, for example, to work in Canada, but what it is in essence, it's, it's a trust that's created. And and there's an agreement that that, that's drafted between an employer and and a player, and you have to, to, uh, you can allocate a, a portion of your salary into this retirement compensation arrangement, this trust that's created and to do that, it has to be on a reasonable basis. So from that perspective, it is very important to, you can't allocate the whole of your income into the retirement compensation arrangement trust, but getting an actual report is probably the best strategy to determine what is reasonable based on a player's salary. But for example, let's say you were earning $20 million a year and uh, you can put $2 $2 million, you know, the employer contributes $2 million into this RCA, the retirement compensation arrangement. Well, first of all, in the year you receive that $20 million, well, you're not being taxed. The $2 million is not being taxed in that year. There's a 50% refundable tax that's levied on that $2 million that is put in a separate trust account that, that is created with CRA And any uh, any investment income that is earned on anything is also 50% put into that account. And and that that is kind of waiting there until there's either a retirement, a loss of employment, or a substantial change to the employment. And then you can withdraw and you get that 50% refundable tax back. And what's interesting about that, especially for any professional athletes that don't wanna stay in Canada, for example, after retirement or loss of employment or that substantial change, well, it's quite interesting because instead of being 53%, there's a withholding tax of 25. And sometimes that's even reduced also depending on the treaty in the country you're in when you get those amounts. So that's something that can be quite interesting to one, not minimize your your income tax that's gonna be paid in the year, but also for future benefits. And even if you decide to stay in Canada, you know, depending where you're living, if it's not Ontario or Quebec, there, there's interesting uh, strategies from that point of view. So that, that's an interesting also uh, vehicle that, that, get, that can be used. And you have to negotiate it obviously from the outset with the club and they have to agree and, and it has to be an employer contribution. So it has to be that kind of, of structure, but that, that's something that's quite interesting also.
1: Sounds like if you're going to be an athlete in Canada, you should get yourself a really good tax lawyer, such as yourself. (laughs) Yeah,
2: well, I mean, it's important to have those advisors, and I'm sure it's the same in the States, right? It's always easier to, I I was going to translate an expression in French, but I don't know if it works in English, but it's better to, it's better to prevent than heal. That's a really bad translation, but it's better to anticipate to anticipate something than to have to deal with, for example, a dispute about it, <laughs> because then it, it, is, it is less of a hassle to do it up front than do it at the end.
0: Support for this podcast is provided by Avalara. Since 2004, Avalara's vision has been to harness the power of cloud technology to help simplify sales tax for businesses of all sizes. And their solutions are designed to affordably scale with businesses as they grow. Collecting tax for the government is something businesses just have to do. But getting the job done efficiently and correctly can be an incredible challenge, because tax rules and regulations can be endlessly complicated. Avalara keeps track of how thousands upon thousands of products are taxed in more than 13,000 tax jurisdictions. And that's just in the United States. With more than 1,000 signed partner integrations, Avalara likely integrates with the ERP, e-commerce, mobile payment, and point of sale systems you use today. Find out how your business can be sales tax ready at avalera.com slash tax notes. That's avalera.com slash tax notes. Avalera, tax compliance done right.
1: Thank you so much. I've learned so much. This is very interesting. Like, this is really cool. I mean, your your job sounds awesome. Like, I mean, it sounds like really complicated, but it sounds really kind of fun because it's like something, you know, that's interesting. I bet when you talk to people at dinner parties and you say, oh, I. Advise athletes, and they think, "Oh, wow, that's so cool. Who do you who do you know?" Of course, you can't say who you know, but
2: well, you can't say it when you're like when it's public. I I think I get the the, the fun part also because unfortunately I, I'm the only one who enjoys this. But you know, if, if there's a dispute, there's a process, right? And sometimes we do get to court, and I love going to court. Uh, it is what I do. I'm a litigator. But uh, that's always also very fun because even even the judges, everyone is always interested in those intricacies. And it's interesting questions from a tax perspective, right? And a legal perspective. So that's, I love my job.
0: <laughs> well, we
1: love people who love their job, especially in tax. So thank you so much. One last question. So what kind of uh, sports fan are you?
2: Actually, I have to say I love baseball. Just because of my grandma, it's a religion for her. She loves the, she loves the Blue Jays. She's a very big fan, and uh, she's now 91 years old. and And when we're together, we try to to catch the games, and she'll do reruns uh, if they're not playing. So during the pandemic, she was doing reruns. So I'm a big uh, I like baseball. I I mean I'm I, I'm Canadian. I I do like hockey, and I played I played soccer most of my life. So that's another one of my favorites. And tennis. I like sports. <laughs>
1: I, love, I was a big uh, Blue Jays fan too growing up. I, I grew up in Toronto, uh, the Toronto area. And uh, over in the, ninth, the, the back-to-back World Series championships was like, that was it. That was like the pinnacle. It was so awesome. And basketball, I like basketball as well. So the Raptors, too bad they're not so great right now, but.
2: But they've been, they, they were great a few years ago. And, and I got to say, like, we were in, in Quebec, we were a bit disappointed when, uh, you know, the, there was talks of having a, a team that was half-based in Canada and half-based in the States to bring back the Expos for baseball. That would have been a very interesting uh, thing from a tax perspective. But uh, but we're not getting them, at least not for now.
1: So what are the plans right now? Is it? Uh...
2: It's at NH- uh, NHL.
1: NHL, yeah. Are you reading uh- Who are you rooting for? <laughs> Can you-
2: Actually, I will be a very, very bad person and say I'm not watching it. Ooh. <laughs> but, well, I mean, um, the team that I like isn't in it. So I, I kind of have been I've been very, uh, I haven't been
1: very religious. I don't want to assume who your team is, but who is your team? Uh, obviously, Montreal Canadiens, <laughs> of course. Yeah, okay. I don't want to
2: assume. But my, as I said, my grandma is also a big hockey fan, and she is, she roots for the Ottawa Senators.
1: You know, it's all good. It's all hockey. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today and, and uh, talking about your about your article. And um, I hope we can talk again soon. This has been fun, pretty fun.
2: Thank you very much for having me again. And uh, hopefully uh, we chat again soon.
0: And now, coming attractions. Each week we highlight new and interesting commentary in our magazines. Joining me now is Acquisitions and Engagement Editor-in-Chief Paige Jones. Paige, what will you have for us?
3: Thanks, Dave. In Tax Notes Federal, Stephen Curtis breaks down eBay's cost-sharing arrangement and explains how corporate taxpayers have been able to exploit the cost-sharing regulations. Donald Susswain and Kyle Brown wonder if it's time to tax Disney's unrealized capital gains from 1965. In Tax Notes State, Jeffrey Friedman and Sivash Amidi argue that New York's application of the False Claims Act to tax matters should be reformed or eliminated. Four SALT veterans ponder the immediate future of state revenues and what it will mean in terms of tax policy and tax enforcement. In Tax Notes International, Carrie Sadiq and Richard Creever examine a recent Hong Kong decision that affirms Hong Kong as a transfer pricing nirvana. Three Lee and co-attorneys review Korea's ongoing royalties tax dispute with U.S. tech companies. In featured analysis, Ryan Finley wonders if the Amazon appeal will clarify burden of proof in state aid cases. And finally, on the opinions page, Robert Goulder interviews professors Larry Zelenak and Ajay Mehrotra about the recently published memoirs of Stanley S. Surrey, who is considered America's greatest tax scholar. Marie Sapiri argues that a recent decision indicates that the courts are willing to stop the IRS when it tries to stretch its law enforcement function too far.
0: That's it for this week. You can follow me online at tax Stew, that's S-T-E-W, and be sure to follow at tax Notes for all things tax. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com podcast. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk. The submissions period for the Christopher E. Bergen Award for Excellence in Writing will be closing soon. This annual award recognizes superior student writing on unsettled questions in tax law or policy. Eligible students must be enrolled in an accredited undergraduate or graduate program during the academic year. Submissions are due by June 30th, 2022. Visit taxnotes.com slash students for more details. That's taxnotes.com slash students.